Hi, this is Mark, and I'm happy to give you a Sunday morning message today. But first, uh, before we get to the scriptures, we're going to be in John chapter 12, and I'm going to read it to you. But I want to give you a little bit of mental health coaching or spiritual coaching. In Philippians 4.8, it says this, because we've been in lockdown and shutdown and various things. So I want to remind you of a couple things. Paul said this, Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And it's important in this time especially, as well as other times, to have our thoughts ordered, to have them at peace, uh, to be prayerful, to be in the scriptures, to meditate upon things. Why is that important? Uh, this isn't in the scriptures, but I believe it's true, and the truth sets us free. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you a scripture to back it up, but I believe that each of us are becoming every day what we say, that if I complain about things and oh, I can't believe this, and they, you know, this, that, and the other. Well, eventually, and scientists even show that it creates neural pathways in our brain that makes it easier to think negative, and then we feel bad. But if we think about that which is true, as I just told you, that which is lovely, if anything is excellent, worthy of praise, we're supposed to think about those things. Uh, the scripture that comes to my mind to back that up is Proverbs 4.23 in the Amplified version of the Bible. It says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Watch over your heart, which in the Hebrew mind, the heart included the mind in the Hebrew Bible, the way they thought about it millennia ago. So watch over your heart and your mind with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So let me lead us in a prayer real quick. Father, uh, we want to readjust our thinking. We want to readjust our mind to the way you think about the world. And Lord, we're reminded in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, where your word says, this is you talking to us, where you say, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So Father, we want to think your thoughts, have your attitude, uh, have your love and express it to other people. And that doesn't mean that just anything goes, Father. We know that there's standards for uh, many things. But Lord, the last of the fruit of the Spirit includes self-control. So help us, Father, to control our thoughts, to think about what we're thinking about. For you have given us not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Paul wrote to young Timothy, I think that's 2 Timothy 1.7. So we honor you with our mind in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm going to read to you from the Living Bible the passage in John 12. But before we get to that, John, actually it's, yeah, it's John that references a passage from Isaiah. So I think it's very important to read a passage in Isaiah first. It's Isaiah chapter 6. And in Isaiah chapter 6, it's a very different passage. I'm going to read it to you first in the ESV, this Bible here, and then I'm going to read to you in John, and it'll make more sense, okay? Isaiah 6, verse 1 through 10. Isaiah 6. It's Isaiah's vision of the Lord, high and lifted up, and this is what it says. In the year that King Uzziah died, 
I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. So this was like seven, eight hundred years before Jesus. We're talking almost three thousand years ago, or you know, twenty-eight hundred years ago. So this is a long time ago. Uh, so it's eight hundred years before John wrote his gospel. Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So he's there in Jerusalem. He sees a vision of God. Above him stood the seraphim. Seraphim are angels. Listen how they're described. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. So this is like God's original drone program, okay? Except they're living beings, and they're not spying on him. They're giving him glory because they're calling to one another. In verse 3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Another way that that little verse there could be interpreted is may his glory fill the whole earth. So keep in mind this idea of glory and just put it right there. It's going to hover right here like a seraphim. Glory, okay? I'm going to continue. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me. This is Isaiah talking. So he has this vision. There's smoke around, which, by the way, when, when Jesus, you know, later, 800 years later, when he ascends to the Father, he ascends into a cloud. And when he's transfigured on the mountaintop in, at Mount Hermon in the Gospels, there's, there's clouds around. So a lot of times when God in his glory shows up, it's accompanied with a cloud or with smoke. And we're told that Jesus is going to return with clouds also. So this is uh, something that accompanies his glory. The word for the glory in the Hebrew, one of the words is Shekinah. Uh, I've heard Jews say Shekinah, or you know, us Gentiles oftentimes term it the Shekinah glory. And it spoke of the radiant presence of God, that he shined forth from above the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And Isaiah's, that's where he's having this, this uh, vision at, is in the temple. But it's, it's uh, God actually showing up. So his response is, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people, of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having taken in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. So out from the brazen altar where they would sacrifice in the morning a lamb, in the afternoon a lamb. And that brazen altar is a picture in the temple or the tabernacle it's a picture of jesus the lamb of god dying upon the cross so back in the temple before jesus 800 years before isaiah sees this vision he realized that he's a sinner and he's among a sinful people but it's a coal from the altar that touches his lips the seraphim does this the angel and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So this is a beautiful passage apart from its connection to John today. Uh, let me, two more verses, three more verses. I'm in Isaiah 6, verse 8. And I, Isaiah, heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go. And say to this people, now catch this, this is what the message is. 
keep on hearing, but do not understand. So he's talking about the ears. Keep on seeing, he's talking about the eyes. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people, and remember, in the Hebrew of the Old Testament, the heart was the seat of emotions as well as cognition or thinking. So when they said heart, a lot of times they were talking about the heart and the mind. But in our common language, we separate it in our modern American Western world. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn and be healed. So, and it goes on from there, but I've already read enough. This passage is amazing in Isaiah 6 because it's a vision of God's glory, but this idea of they'll see, but they won't understand. They'll hear, but they won't get it. Their hearts hardened. And if they would turn to the Lord or repent, repent is a general synonym for turning to the Lord, but to repent means to change your mind. Repent is literally mind change. We see people maybe on a street corner with a sign that says repent, and we think they're crazy or out of their mind or something, but repent or mind change is the message of the New Testament because we're told to think about that which is pure and lovely and acceptable. And the New Testament is all about having a transformed mind, just like a ugly worm turns itself into a cocoon and then out emerges a beautiful butterfly, that thing has been changed. And our mind, our outlook, our attitude is also changed by God. And that's, a, that's throughout the Bible. That's a very important message. But this idea that they're going to hear the message but not understand it or receive it, this actual scripture in Isaiah 6 is repeated throughout the New Testament lots of times. I'm looking at a commentary here. And it mentions Matthew 13, verse 14 and 15. That's one. Mark 4, 12. Luke 8, 10. Romans 11, 8. 2 Corinthians 3, 14. Acts 28, 27. And I can type those references onto the notes of this, this passage. But that's six times where this passage shows up prominently. What does it tell us? It tells us that people are obstinate, people are stubborn, and you know you can lead a horse to the water, but you can't force them to drink. So keep that passage in mind when John says this, and they're connected. You'll get this. John 12, starting in verse 37. And the idea about this, the main point today, is that God promises healing. But in order to receive his healing, we have to listen. We have to see where he's acting. Uh, we have to hear his word. And that's done very simply by reading the Bible. So I have one of my favorite Bibles. A few people in the church have one of these. This is the old school, I think from the 60s or 70s, the Living Bible. And the Living Bible is like a dynamic paraphrase. And it goes like this in the Living Bible. John 12, 37. But despite all the miracles that Jesus had done, most of the people would not believe that he was the Messiah. He's in Jerusalem. It's the last week of his ministry. And he's going to be saying the last public words of teaching that he gives in John's gospel. And so people didn't believe that he was the Messiah. Verse 38. This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet had predicted. 
Lord, who will believe us? Which that's in Isaiah 53. And John's kind of thrown in a variety of scriptures. Who will accept God's mighty miracles as proof? But they couldn't believe. For as Isaiah also said, now here's that passage from Isaiah 6. God has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they can neither see nor understand nor turn to me to heal them. Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he made this prediction, for he had seen a vision of the Messiah's glory. So what John is saying is that vision that Isaiah saw in the Jerusalem temple of God, high and lifted up, was actually a vision of Messiah, a vision of Christ, a vision of God, the glorious Son. It wasn't necessarily... According to John 12, not a vision of the Holy Spirit, not a vision of God the Father, but it was Jesus. It was God the Son manifest in his glory back in Isaiah 6, according to John 12. However, even many of the Jewish leaders believed him to be the Messiah, but wouldn't admit it to anyone because of their fear that the Pharisees would excommunicate them from the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Some translations will say they love the glory of men more than the glory of God. And this is a, a crisis where it is a, what do you call it? Like when people put two words together and they don't go along, it's a paradox or it's a, you know, it's a funny saying to say this, to say secret disciple of Jesus. It, it just can't happen because the two things don't go together. It's like saying part-time Christian. Because we're supposed to be believers all the time. Uh, I like making all kinds of jokes and, and different things. But uh, like I talk about how this video, I'm going to have to go take my union break. It's a 10-minute coffee break in just a few moments because that's my union agreement. And I like joking about things like that. But it's no joking matter to say that secret and discipleship don't go together. Eventually, the discipleship will make it so that you don't want to just be in secret anymore. And, and that's okay. Many people come to the Lord in that way, where they come skeptical and they don't, they don't know at first. And then before long, they come out into the open. And I'm going to give you an example of that in just a moment. But likewise, you could be a disciple, but eventually the secrecy could squash, uh, I think of the term, quench the spirit, where somebody does believe but they fear what other people are going to say, what other people are going to think. It could be in the family. It could be in a marriage. It could be what will my kids think of me? What will my coworkers think of me? What will my, you know, whomever, people. In this case, they didn't want to be shut out of the synagogue, so they, you know, kept it uh, secret at this time. Now, let me give you that example. Joseph of Arimathea in the scriptures sat on the Jewish high council, the Sanhedrin. And yet, he's a secret disciple because at one point, you know, he's not going along with everything. But after Jesus dies, he goes, he gets the courage. And in his life, what happened was the discipleship overtook being in secret. And he found the courage, I believe God gave him the courage, to go and ask Pontius Pilate for the body, and he did, and he fulfilled prophecy in Isaiah 53 by putting Jesus 
in his unused tomb. He was a rich man, and that was the prophecy that Jesus would die like a criminal, and yet he would be in the grave, a rich man's grave. So Joseph of Arimathea is an example of that, but you can't be a secret disciple, at least not forever. But God's graceful, he's calling us, and if that's how we start out, it's okay, but God's wooing us to full maturity. Jesus shouted to the crowds, if you trust me, you are really trusting God. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world. Now keep in mind, this, these are the last public teaching of Jesus, the last public words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Because right after this, it's going to be John 13, where Jesus is having his last supper with his disciples. It's dark out. Judas is dispatched in the secret of night to go you know, betray him, it's a horrible thing, and other things go down, but this is Jesus' last opportunity to tell everybody different things, and this is what he says. He says, for when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. Now, who's that? Who's the one who sent Jesus? It is the Father. Now, it's interesting, back in John six twenty nine, I think it is, I should look it up to double, double make sure, but Jesus said that the only work of God in John chapter 6, is to believe on the one whom the Father sent. Meaning that our work as human beings right now is just to believe on God. We think we got to do a bunch of things to add to it, but we worship God not as a work, but out of thanks, out of like sheer love. Love is the motivation. Jesus' words were this elsewhere in the scriptures. He said that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, we have a, a, a beautiful man in our church. I'm not going to say uh, who it is because I haven't asked him for permission. And I don't think he would care. But he told me, he said, I used to think that when someone said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, that it was like, you know, Jesus was saying, you better keep my commandments because that's the proof that you love me. When what he discovered as he matured as, as a believer and as, as a man, as a person, and this is just as true for women and for teenagers and whatever, is that the love is the power to obey the commandments. See, if we, if we love God, if we grow in our love for God, then we're going to naturally want to obey his commandments, which is to love him. That's the first commandment. And the second command is this, to love our neighbor as ourself. And Jesus said elsewhere that all the law and the prophets hang on those two commands. So let me wrap this up. And, and apply it to you. Jesus says, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer wander in the darkness. If anyone hears me and doesn't obey me, I am not his judge. Did you catch that? Jesus says in John twelve forty seven that he is not the judge. He says, for I have come to save the world and not to judge it. Now you might have, you might be like, what? What's going on? Well, listen, verse 48. He says, but all who reject me and my message will be judged at the day of judgment by the truths I have spoken. Or the words, the ideas, the message that Jesus spoke, the words of Jesus are what will judge us. For these are not my own ideas, but I have told you what the Father said to me. And I know his instructions lead to eternal life so that whatever he tells me to say, I say. So what Jesus is saying is that I didn't show up to destroy. 
I didn't show up to, to decimate or to show God's wrath. He showed up on a rescue mission. And it's encapsulated with the cross. The cross is the most important symbol because the cross is a sign of death, but it's also a sign of hope. Now, Jesus doesn't judge us. It's his words that judge us. And, and what this is, is it basically is the idea that we um, have a judgment and a judgment is a decision. People, their decision is revealed by their response to Jesus. And if somebody decides to reject Jesus, then his word, which his, is his invitation to, to come to him and be his disciple, we're going to reject that invitation. And by rejecting that invitation, we reject our healing, we reject our wholeness, we reject our purpose and our destiny and everything. Now, let me tell you this. I, I heard this this week from, from a good friend. He said that we shouldn't let our history uh, get in the way of our destiny. But that's what many people do. They take a history of sin, a history of bitterness, a history of unforgiveness, a history of small thinking, a history of unchanged thinking, uh, stubbornness of various kinds, and they allow that to dull their ears and their eyes to what God's doing. But he tells us back in Isaiah, remember, if they would just turn to me, then they would be healed. So my question to you today is, will you turn to Jesus with whatever you're struggling with? As an individual, in your marriage, in your singleness, in your employment, in your unemployment, in the craziness. If you're too tuned into the news like I am, and maybe you just need to take a break and meditate on his word, whatever it is that brings you angst and sorrow and discouragement, whatever people have done to you, you can release it in the name of Jesus, and he will give you strength and healing and wholeness for you to enter the kingdom right now, for you to enter into his peace and his love and his joy, that yes, it will characterize us for all of eternity in heaven, but you know what? You can have a lot of heaven right now. It doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer, but you might have an entirely new experience of joy because God will be with you in your suffering. God will be with you in your hardship and you know, a great Bible teacher, Joyce Meyer, she says you can't be pitiful and powerful at the same time. So I choose power. I choose strength. And let me pray this prayer for you and for our community as we close today. Think about this idea of turning and experiencing healing. Father, we think of the words in uh, 2 Chronicles 7.14 where you say, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and uh, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear their prayer and forgive their sin and heal their land. And Father, we ask for healing upon our land for what's happening right now in America and all around the world, Lord Jesus. But we pray and we receive. We pray that you give us sight for our eyes, hearing for our ears, that we would be among those who receive your word. I think of that one parable where they receive the word 
and they bore fruit with patience and 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 they produced a crop of a hundredfold i know that you love to multiply the seed of your message in our life so we pray lord that you would not only plant the seed uh, deeply in our hearts as we come to you as we confess to you our deep need for renewal for repentance for regeneration for hope and healing and for freedom and lord we receive it in jesus name and we know that we can't do anything apart from you doing it within us so father will you please come with fresh power and in a new way and with a new song father to breathe upon us in new ways because we're just like isaiah we see you high and lifted up and yet we realize that man we're we're of unclean lips we have blind eyes we have deaf ears and yet you father are the one who opened lord jesus i mean sending jesus but jesus you opened the eyes of the blind and you made the mute speak and you opened the ears the hearing of those who were deaf and you raised lazarus who was actually dead and you promised lord jesus to raise us to new to new life one day as well so we put all of our hope in you in the name of the father and the Son, Jesus Christ, as well as the Spirit of Holiness, we pray these things. Amen. God bless you and keep you. Thank you.